Thank you, Courtney. Our God is an awesome God. And uh, I hope I can communicate how awesome our God is to you all today. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. This morning I'll speak briefly on the characteristics of a shepherd, and then I will move um, into speaking about the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, and our relationship with him. I will try to show the providence, provision, and protection of God. I will touch on regeneration. I'll speak about sanctification and assurance. But most of all, I want to lead you into the worship of the great God we have. I want to magnify the God I serve and display his work in us. So let's read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how you work in our lives through your word. Be with me now as I attempt to communicate your greatness to these people. And may you be praised and worshipped today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the first three verses, with the fourth included, of Psalm 23, gives us a picture of how Jehovah is our shepherd. I'd first like to discuss the relationships the Bible gives us of illustrations of God to his people. One is obvious, we have shepherd to sheep. We have vine to branches, bridegroom to bride, head of the body to the body members or the church. We have master to slave, teacher, disciple, father to son. Today we'll obviously talk about the shepherd and his relationship to the sheep. And uh, these illustrations are certainly not exhaustive in God's relation to his people. They are a tip of the iceberg or a dim shedding of light on the truth, or a blurry sight of a picture. God is not exhaustive at all. He is infinite. 
I'm going to find in my notes one of the verses that will confirm that. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past beyond finding out. You all probably have some understanding of how a shepherd relates to a sheep. Um, I will briefly go through the verses that are given and just give a small example um, of God's providence, protection, and provision, and then we'll dig a little deeper into, into them. Okay. If the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. Everything is provided so for you so that there is no want or desires left unfulfilled. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We see a sheep very happy, very content, um, having his fill and being his hunger is being satisfied. He leadeth me beside still waters or quiet waters. We see thirst being satisfied, uh, a picture of peace and stillness. He restoreth my soul. A good shepherd will lead his sheep through rich pastures. They can't just stay in one spot. They must move. And when they move, they will need rest. Sometimes the pastures may be uh, a long journey in between or even to the water. And he will make them uh, rest, and he will not weary them with too much work and traveling. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Um, we'll speak on the sheep aspect of how a shepherd leads his sheep. Uh, they're led from pasture to pasture, waters to waters, and the shepherd will discern the best path. It may not be the easiest, but it will be the best based on his wisdom and understanding of the terrain. As the sheep journey with their shepherd, they learn to hear his voice, and they learn to trust him, and they are trained in his commandments. If he says, go here, they, they eventually will learn, oh, this is where I need to go. Uh, they abide, and they trust in the shepherd, and they glorify and honor the shepherd um, as they abide in him. And the, the shepherd will have pleasure in this, and he delights in it. I, I guess that's probably the joys of being a shepherd, as having your sheep obey your commandments. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Sometimes the journey is hard. Sometimes the uh, journey is through the wilderness where it seems as though death is certain, but the true sheep will trust their shepherd and not fear because they know their shepherd can and will protect and guide and lead them on their way. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These are comforting to the sheep because they are tools employed for direction and training, and they are in the hands of the shepherd, which obviously implies that the shepherd is present. And that brings comfort. Okay, so now I've shown you a picture of a shepherd to the sheep and how the shepherd provides, protects, 
and guides through his providence. And now I'd like to move into, well, the next two verses, okay, are very much in continuity, uh, but it kind of moves off the picture of the shepherd, but all the while still considering it. But he moves off of speaking about the Lord as shepherd and then begins to speak to the shepherd. And so I'll get to those later. We know the Psalms are filled with pictures and illustrations. But just as a good artist paints a picture, they do it with meaning. There's something beyond the surface of a painting. Okay, there is a, 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 with a good artist, there's a message to convey, a meaning beyond what you see with the naked eye. And how could we discern this? How could we discern an artist's painting and the message they are trying to communicate? Well, one would obviously be to ask them. Uh, but if they are dead, then you would look at a biography or look at historical, cultural events surrounding uh, his painting to find out. Um, so I will get to the picture that I believe is being painted here in some deeper meaning and obviously not exhaustive. I, I think you could preach a sermon on every one of these verses. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will hear his voice. Let's turn to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. We see here that Christ is the true shepherd. And again, uh, I'll just read this verse for you in Hebrews 13.20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So, and back to John, the main point I want to focus on is that, one, the sheep hear his voice, and I want to ask you the question, do you hear his voice? Do you listen to his voice? Do you love his voice? In John 10.3, the sheep hear his voice and calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And in verse 4, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. If you do not listen to Christ, if you do not hear his voice, if you do not follow Christ, you are not his sheep. Nor is Christ your shepherd, and you are not his sheep. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my word. 
If you answered no to my questions, this psalm is not yours. I'm sorry, but it is for the sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. If he's not your shepherd, you should stop there and you can't continue. At least you can't continue owning this psalm. It is precious to his sheep. Either Christ is your shepherd or he is not. If he is not, then I would command you in the Lord to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. If you answered yes, then you are blessed. I shall not want. With Christ as shepherd, his sheep have no want, no desire left unsatisfied. He is everything we need. If we truly follow him, he will provide not only our physical needs, but also grace for everything he leads us through. Christ's provisions are sufficient for us to do his will. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Now here I picture a sheep lying down in the shade of a luscious pasture. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen a sheep or a goat or a cow chewing its cud, but they look like they're in utter paradise, in total peace with no anxiety. It's kind of neat to see that the peace is just, you want some of that. And we can have it. But there is something bigger than physical needs being met here. If you, believer, only eat physical bread and drink physical water, you will hunger again and you will thirst again. I want to take a look really quick at the Samaritan woman. John 4, 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's turn to John 6, 31 through 35. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Sound familiar? I shall not want. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. He restoreth my soul. 
This is connected with the above provisions and is also the reason I speak on the spiritual provision aspect. Food does not restore a soul. Spiritual food restores the soul. The bread of life restores the soul. God has employed his word in a way that restores us, restores our soul. And just as our bodies need food and water to maintain its life, so if we desire spiritual life, we must be in this word daily, just as we need food and water. In fact, if I was given a choice, if I was to choose food or water, physical, or his word, I would rather starve to death and have this. Our souls give vigor and strength to the body, and by God restoring our souls, it implies that our souls get drained. The fuel level, if you will, gets lower and lower. It runs out eventually. And I already said, how, do, how does God restore? By means of his word. As a believer, I trust that you have experienced some level of this grace that God gives us to labor as we seek his word. A lot of times as I read the word in the morning, I actually, worship comes at the very end. I'll spend an hour and worship will come at the end and it's from laboring and meditating and that worship and understanding comes together at the end of my morning devotion time it is a labor there's no accident that the apostle john calls christ in chapter one of his gospel the word in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was with god See the connection, word, bread? We must read the Bible and then read it again and again and again. Be a man after God's own heart. Isn't that what uh, the Bible says about the author of this psalm, that he was a man after God's own heart? You go after God's heart in his word, and you will have moments of worship just as David did because he was worshiping in the spirit, and that same spirit is in the believers. And we, can, we won't probably have that great poetic talent as David did, but our worship will be true. Remember Lot, unrighteousness of Sodom and Gomorrah vexed his soul, it oppressed his soul, it beat it down. So this world will oppress our soul. If this, all you do is spend your time at work or in the news, your soul will be beat down. And where will your joy go? It'll go down to nothing. The world we live in vexes our soul and eats away at our strength as a maggot eats flesh. 
But God's word has a restorative nature, and therefore we must be in his word daily. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake is very important and very weighty. I spend most of my time meditating on this. I think it's important, too, that David put it in here because it puts us in check, lest we think too highly of humans, of God's creation, thinking, oh, he does this for us because we are so great. Oh, wait, no, it's for him. Before we talk about paths of righteousness, I want to first look into the beginning of the path. The beginning of the path of righteousness, true righteousness, is regeneration. And the beginning of that is also sanctification. And that happens in being born again. So let's turn to Ezekiel. We have a prophecy about regeneration. Chapter 36, verses 22 through 32. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy namesake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither you went, wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which is profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned. Notice the repetition. That is very important in Hebrew literature. It's stressing something. That ye profaned in the midst of them, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then I, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep them shall keep my judgments and do them. Sound like leading in paths of righteousness? I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree, the increase of the field, that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. 
Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. You know, that's a sign of a true believer. We, we do fall, but when we do, we loathe ourselves. We hate it. Listen to this. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Don't think too highly of yourselves. I can't think too highly of myself. I am ashamed of my ways. I rejoice in God's ways. This is my only hope. Did not your heart sink as we read this? Mine does every time I read it. It makes me want to put my hand over my mouth. God is the actor. He causes us to walk in his statutes and keep his judgments. If we are left to ourselves, we would rot in hell with no hope. The sheep's hope is in God. A sheep left to itself is hopeless. We need him. Jesus said, if you keep my word, then are you my disciples indeed. That's one of the tools God uses. Well, the only tool God uses us to have us walk in his statutes. How are we going to walk in his statutes if we don't know them? The believer is to seek God out, seek his statutes, seek his will. John 17, 17, sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. God conforms us to the image of Christ, sanctifies us in the word that he has given, and it is sufficient. If you are walking down a path of true righteousness, it is only, only because God is causing it, and remember, is causing it for his great name's sake, in order that it be displayed to the world unto his glory. Display him. I'd like to read to you Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Everything is for him, and his glory he will not give to another. It is for him. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In this verse, we see David begins to speak to God, but still keeps with the illustration of the Lord as shepherd. 
and that he speaks of his rod and staff. God leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake, and sometimes that path of righteousness is met with horrific circumstances and persecution. If you read through this psalm quickly, it almost is like, oh, life is going to be peachy if the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, No, but he'll provide for you. He'll provide everything you need for his glory. He'll give you grace to help in the time of need. If you take a look back at all the saints and the prophets and the scriptures, were not they the ones who suffered the most, the most godly of men? The valley of the shadow of death. Death is near. Death is near because of the enemy being near, or in a sheep's case, a predator's, or in our case, a roaring lion, the devil. It's our predator. Evil is around, otherwise David wouldn't have wrote, I will fear no evil. How is evil carried out? Is carried out by those who hate God. So every creature other than sheep. The regenerate or born again are surrounded by those who hate God and were God to take himself and his grace out of their lives, there would be no hesitation for them to murder us instantly. You ever thought of that? There's two types of people, the sheep and the goats. The Bible tells us that once we were enemies of God. But God is with us through that evil, through that evil period or whatever evil would persecute us or trial or tribulation that we face. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. God is with you through the storms of life, through the darkest valley, and not just there at the end saying, you can do it. He walks with you through it. The sovereign Lord is omnipotent and none is stronger. That's why we fear no evil. Because God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. None is more powerful than him. He is a supreme one. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Rod or staff is a stick used to assist in walking. It's used for discipline, guidance, Set in Strong's is highly individualized and used for identification. It can also be translated scepter. Individualized, he's not, he leads all of us in different paths. God's will for us is not all uh, macro, yes, but in the micro sense, 
It is not the same. He calls each believer to bear things differently and on a spectrum of difficulty. I'd like for us to turn now to uh, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Remember at the beginning, father-son. This is the illustration here that we're going to. Father-son relationship. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby." The rod and staff of the Lord are comforting because he dealeth with us as sons. If you are not being chastened by the Lord, that is a big discomfort. If God dealeth with you as a son, that is comforting. That is a sense of assurance that we can have that God is our father. The Lord is your shepherd, and with his rod and staff, he leads you, tells you to keep going, to go this way, to go that way. But also discipline. Now, discipline from God does not necessarily mean judgment as a spanking for doing wrong. It can, but it also means a tool for training, a tool to conform us into the image of Christ, a tool for sanctification. And just a side note, parents, this is the purpose of your rod, to train your children unto godliness. If there's any other purpose other than that, it is ungodly. Now, this is comforting news because they are acts of a father's love for his children. He does not let them run wild, lest his name be profaned as it was with the nation of Israel before God sent them into exile. They profaned his name. That's why he said, I'm going to cause them to walk in my statutes. 
because otherwise we wouldn't and we would profane his name. It is comforting because God is working in us both to will and to work of his good pleasure. That's Philippians 4.13 and in Philippians 1.6, he that began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. We see again here as God as actor doing a work and completing it. God doesn't do things halfway. He starts a project, he finishes the project. God is faithful, all for his glory and all for his namesake. In the last note, the rod can be used as a tool for, for protection, for beating predators. And it reminded me that rod is sometimes interpreted, I didn't know how to read the Hebrew word, so I'm just going with rod here, but the rod also could be translated as scepter. Note that Satan is under the scepter of God, and he cannot act unless it has gone before the counsel of God. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. God prepares. Prepares here in Hebrew is to arrange in rows, to put in order, and even to take up battle positions, to put in formation. God prepares a table. We see here yet again of the goodness of God and the likeness of a shepherd. But here David does not use the figure. If God is setting the table, he is providing. And we see further down, he provides abundantly. I know yet again of God's provision. In verse 1, we have, I shall not want. In verse 2, we have abundant pastures and quiet waters. And this phrase, anointest, means here to give health, to prosper, to be satisfied, to, made, to be made fat. It's speaking of blessing here, of provision. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. This cup running over is an abundance, an overflowing of provision. It is more than enough. God provides more than enough for me, not only in food, but in grace. If we need grace, what do we do? We draw near unto the shepherd. We draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And also, remember, when Paul was harassed by the evil spirit, the thorn in his side, the evil spirit that harassed him, he pleaded with the Lord three times that he would take it away. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my power is perfected in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
Remember, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God will give us the grace in perfect measure, and yes, often more than enough to accomplish his will. In the presence of mine enemies, David was king. Kings have many enemies, and even David's own son tried to take his throne from him, let alone the people who weren't his blood, his servants, the people of the military, his friends. Psalm 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Obviously, his friend sat at a table with him, ate his bread. He turned out to be his enemy. Is not that so with, with believers in the church? Sometimes we find out that there was a believer who actually was a goat and forsook the Lord, turned out to be an enemy. We all have an enemy, and for the saints, it is Satan. For an unbeliever, it is God. The devil prowls, a lot, prowls as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's in 1 Peter 5.8. I'll read the verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In this world, we're surrounded by enemy forces. Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So then our physical needs are provided in abundance, and likewise our spiritual needs. And all the while we are surrounded by evil. We do indeed walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but God still cares for us. He is with us. In the verse prior, verse, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. If you are walking through the fire, it isn't because God doesn't like you. It's because he loves you, and he's doing a work in you. He's refining you, conforming you into the image of Christ. That's what we call sanctification. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's abundant goodness towards his people follow them forever and wherever they go. In Romans 9.23, Paul calls the believers, the sheep, vessels of mercy. We carry this mercy with us. It comes with us. We can't hide from it, even if we tried. I'll read to you uh, Psalm 139, verse 5 through 10. You can turn there if you beat me to it. Verses 5 through 10. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. We can't forget this. We must call this to mind, especially when we are troubled on every side. I'm going to read to you in Lamentations. There's the weep, weeping prophet that is written, and, and arguably he's the one, the sheep who's among the sheepfold, he's suffered the worst, arguably. But I think so. He certainly walked through the valley of the shadow of death for years, was afflicted, tormented, persecuted, near death, all the time, it seemed. Uh, it's 32 verses. I'm sorry, but then again, I'm not. Chapter 3. Verses 1 through 32. Jeremiah certainly had the rod of God upon him. And I want to read this because the Christian life is filled with troubles and afflictions. And I want you to know that it is Christ, the great shepherd, who leads you into the trial and walks with you through the trial, providing your needs with his mercy and grace. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness. Sound familiar? But not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways, and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. 
And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so there be, there may be hope. He give us, giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Remember that when you go through your troubles. That mercy is still with you. Goodness is still with you. may not be your sense of what goodness and mercy is. But it is for the glory of God. So then we must recall to mind that goodness and mercy is with us always. We must believe this and trust in him. Trust his hand. Remember the sheep going through the valley of the shadow of death. If he abide with the shepherd and trusted him that he would provide all of his needs. I just thought of this, and sometimes a believer does walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he ends up getting cut down, end of his life, martyred. That's not his end, though. God is doing a work in us. Remember in Philippians, God is working. He will finish it. He started it. It is for him. It is for his namesake. Here I'll repeat the verse I, I stated at the beginning, Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. So how are we to respond to all of this? It's very humbling as I studied through this. And it should be humbling to all of us. There should be a, a response of praise, adoration, of thankfulness. If all this is true for you, what kind of people ought you to be? As God said in Ezekiel, be ashamed of your ways, be confounded, but don't stop there. Don't go into the depths of despair of how miserable you are and how miserable I am. Think of how great 
a God we serve. Our God is an awesome God. So, I would encourage you to go home and think on these things and find a quiet place and go worship him further. Now, perhaps you came here today and God has shown you that you have not followed Christ and that he is not your shepherd. But perhaps you hear his voice saying, Come. Come now. Come unto me. Jesus said in Matthew 27 and 28, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will to reveal him. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If God has given you a glimpse of himself to you today, Perhaps today is the day of salvation for you. And the Bible commands us to turn from our sin, to repent, to look unto Christ, to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. If that's you, I encourage you to go to a quiet place. Go read the Gospel of John and don't stop until you're finished. And then if you still hunger and thirst for more, go read Romans all the way through. If you want to find Christ, you must seek him in his word. If you want to worship Christ, you must worship him according to his word. Let's pray. Father, you're so good unto us. And it's all for your namesake all for your glory. Unto you be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we are beneficiaries of your desire to display your greatness among the nations. And we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and being able to have eyes to see you through your spirit. Please bless your people as we go forth from here. And may we be led into joy and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.